Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino, we recap OU's loss to Texas Tech, and we recap the best games of a wild week 13 in college football, and we give you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, November 28th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of November, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best now recording this Sunday night, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. I'm so tired of doing these after they lose. I mean, I, I, I'm almost getting used to it, and I really, really do not like that feeling that I feel like I'm getting used to doing these after they lose. That is, that is alarming, and I don't like it. Yeah, yep. It's um, It's frustrating. It's... You know, and a lot of it, one of the main reasons it's frustrating is because it's really, it's the same story over and over, you know, the, the players may be a little bit different. The, the final score may be a little bit different, but really the mistakes are, it's just, it's just kind of, it's groundhog day, unfortunately. No doubt. Now, before we kind of take a deep dive into what went wrong in Lubbock? It's a rough weekend for OU fans, man. It was. <laughs> I I think it's I think it's just important to acknowledge that off the top, right? We're all we're all going through it together, right? OU loses 
to tech in overtime to finish six and six on the season, which I think we'd both agree. Never thought was in the realm of, you know, possibility for this season. Right. Yeah. Six and six. I, I never thought that it would get to that point, but here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Here we are. And meanwhile, Lincoln Riley's got USC 11 and one playing for a Pac 12 championship, and Caleb Williams is about to win the Heisman Trophy. So I just, I, I think if we can just acknowledge that off the top and kind of all embrace the pain together, we can, can, we can find community in the collective pain that we're all experiencing, you know? That's it. That's right. I, it's how I feel too. Whenever it goes bad, I just want it to rain down on me. I just want, I just want to like roll around in the misery. It's what it feels like to be alive, Gabe, right? To feel well, these emotions, to feel this pain, just pour it on. Well, this is about as painful as the season could have gone for Oklahoma fans. It ain't over yet. <laughs> you just had to say it, didn't you? You just had to say it, right? Yeah, there's going to be some type of bowl game. And you know what? When it when that gets announced and the matchup is made known, we'll break it down. We'll preview it. We'll be there calling the game. But a a winning season will be on the line which to say that after how not only like come the season coming into the season the expectations the excitement around the program but with how the season started I mean 3 and 0 just whooped Nebraska's ass and we were feeling good man real good and to think about where we were then and how you and I were feeling feeling on that plane <laughs> Back home from Lubbock last night, it was, uh, oh boy, yeah, and you know it's not just, um, it's not just that. Like, you may, like, we're going to be playing for a winning or losing record in a bad bowl somewhere, and within a short amount of time after that, you could be watching uh, a Heisman Trophy ceremony, and who knows. Maybe a national championship. Like I said, if it's going to rain and it's going to pour, just bring it. <laughs> right? Just, let's just get, let's just hit rock bottom, <laughs> is what you're saying. Just hit rock bottom. Let's go. All right. Let's talk about this game. Oh, man. Frustrating. Let's, let's start with the defense. What'd you think? Well, you know, it, it's, it's real similar to a lot of the other games, you know, there's, there's plenty of moments of really good, you know, penetrating on the defensive line, smothering the run game all over the quarterback, uh, you know, forcing errant throws, turning it over, um, you know, playing with, with good effort, good, good attitude, intensity. And then the only way I can explain it is, and maybe I've said this before, but it's like these players on defense have PTSD. And when something goes bad and they give up a drive 
and all of a sudden, you know, you you've maybe you've given up a you know a couple in a row. It's like the anxiety builds and the play just gets worse and worse and worse. And you know, it's mental breakdowns, it's missed opportunities, it's missed tackles, and it just snowballs on them. Now, they did get you know some good stops whenever they needed to late and and you know did some decent things late in that game but it ended up not being enough because you played so poorly for such a a long stretch in there and you know it's it's really the same culprit every single time it starts with missed tackles and it takes me about seven seconds to scroll through the timeline on Twitter to see the fire this coach and fire that coach. And we don't know what we're doing and it all is the coaches. And I've told you it's, it's maybe it's a, a flaw that I have, but I am big on personal responsibility. And I believe that if a coach has put you in a position to where you are unblocked and you have an opportunity to tackle somebody, it is on you at that point to make the tackle. And it's just over and over and over an unblocked guy with an opportunity, a lot of times for a tackle for loss or a sack with a, just a flat out flyby. And sometimes we don't even touch the guy, right? And, you know, we can point it at calls and, you know, should we should we pressure here or should we, should we play coverage? Should it be a three-man rush? All of those things you can discuss, and that's fine, whatever. I really don't care about it. Just make the tackle. When the ball hits you in the stomach, make the interception, right? When you beat a guy clean on a pass rush and you've got the quarterback dead to rights, make the sack. That's all we're really talking about. That's it. Just make the plays whenever they're right there to be made. You know, I I, I don't know how many times in that game I watched our safeties on Sir Roderick Thompson as he comes off the edge and starts to flatten out towards the sideline, towards the perimeter. How many times we come up and we lunge and it's just an easy stiff arm. If you leave your feet and the guy's going to stiff arm, it, you're done. You will make zero tackles like that. As the guy's going lateral, you're coming at him. You leave your feet and he's a stiff-armed guy, you'll never make the play. It's the easiest thing ever for a running back whenever you do that as a safety, especially as a safety. You know, as a linebacker, you're bringing a little bit more size with you typically, a little bit more velocity. Sometimes you can push through a stiff arm, not if the guy's worth a shit, and, you know, Sir Roderick Thompson is a good back. So we ha it happened over and over and over. And you do it to me once, okay, got it. You're going to stiff arm whenever I've got you on the perimeter. The next time, all I do is run, slap it down, and wrap up. 
I don't need to dive at you. I don't need to lunge at you. Just grab cloth and fall down. It's over and over and over. Backers flying past the ball carrier. You fly past the ball carrier. He cuts back. You eliminate all of your help on the team. Everyone's on the other side. Back is off and running. So, I to me, it's just it's 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 fundamentals, man. It's fundamentals, and I'm shocked at how bad of a tackling team we are, considering how much we tackled in spring and how much we tackled in training camp. I said before the season started, I I don't know about like or how we're going to get to the quarterback. I don't know how good of a cover team we're going to be, but we're going to be able to tackle because we drill it like crazy and we tackle to the ground in practice nonstop. I don't know what else you do as a coach. Right? So, I don't know. That's that's kind of the nutshell for me defensively. It's It's the same thing. It's the same story over and over. Just make the plays that are right there to be made. And it ain't nothing special. I don't need Sean Taylor at safety to make the catch whenever the ball hits him in the belly. I don't need Sean Taylor at safety to make a tackle on Sir Roderick Thompson whenever I'm unblocked. I've got him. I've got the proper leverage. I got him inside out. The dude is dead. It's the easiest tackle to make. I don't need, I don't need a great player for that. I just need someone that's focused, that understands fundamentals, and can learn from the mistake that happened two plays ago. That's all I need. I thought some of you know some of the stuff Venables and Roof did in the second half, kind of bouncing back and forth uh, between the three safety look they got uh, Damon Harmon out there as that third safety to go with Bowman and Key Lawrence. Uh, at that point, they had kind of benched Justin Broyles who had, you know, missed a lot in those situations you're talking about. But they tried a lot of different things, man. And I I really thought, especially with how thin they were in the interior of the defensive line, I thought they played pretty well at the point of attack. Like, I thought the D-line did their job, and the guys that are supposed to come and make plays didn't come and make enough plays. I mean, yeah, you give up some big plays in the passing game. There's no doubt about it, right? I mean, that's that's frustrating. Guys got beat. Guys got run by. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's not overly complicated, but a lot of guys not being able to come up and make plays when they were there to be made, man, that was that was disappointing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's the, that's a frustrating thing for me. You know, there there are the level of quarterback and wide receiver in in the Big Twelve in college football 
Like once you get to this level, you're going to give up some plays. Some guys are going to make some nice catches. Some quarterbacks are going to make some guys miss in the pocket and get outside and make a throw downfield. Like those things are going to happen. And it's frustrating. Yes. But like, that's not the thing that kills me. The thing that kills me is guys that are wide open, just blatant missed opportunities. That's the killer. You just can't afford to do it. I mean, think about it. Like, I didn't do it because it, I knew it would drive me insane and I'd end up throwing my uh, laptop through a window. We lost in overtime 51 to 48. And there's probably 20 missed tackles. 20, like whiffs, like just flat out, whoop, first down, 15, 20 yard gain off of a missed tackle or missing the quarterback. And how many interceptions hit us in the gut? Two, three? And, you know, I, you should win this game easily. Easily. But, you know, you miss if you miss layups like that, it's just not going to happen. You miss layups, you're going to be in a dogfight with, you know, seven and five teams in this conference every single week and we miss layups every single week and we were in a dogfight every single week it didn't matter how good the team was and, and that's just kind of where it's at I, if we can't if we can't figure out how to make layups then it's just it's it's going to be the same things aren't going to change now i expect they will so all i can it's all i can do is expect that the you know, the staff is going to continue to coach these guys up. The young guys are going to have opportunities. And, you know, eventually we got to find guys that can make layups. That's it. Anything else defensively? No. Nope. I, I hate it when you're sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I don't – there's there's no other – in my opinion, there's no other conversation – from the game that even matters. It's missed plays, missed tackles, missed interceptions, missed sacks. That's it. I mean, there's some coverage things and some, you know, I I, I thought we had a really good game plan against them, you know, and I thought there was, there was times where obviously, well, not times, like in general across the board, Every single player on defense, we need to be way more physical. But I'm not even worried about that. I don't care about physical. I care about just pull guys to the ground. Like, once we get to where we can tackle people, then we'll start a discussion on trying to be more physical. And I swear to God, if there's anything that's more embarrassing to a football player, a defensive football player, is for a team to put a quarterback as a lead blocker and run it right up your ass like what they did with Donovan Smith. You should be dreaming. Oh, my God. They have Donovan Smith playing fullback. I'm going to bury this dude. I've been waiting my whole life for this. And he's 6'6". 6'6", guys can't play low. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I am going to light this guy's ass up. Helmet right under chin. It's going to look like a yard sale is what every player out there should be thinking. And they just blow us off the ball, wash us all the way through, and it's a walk-in touchdown. But, you know, 
like I said, we can worry about that later whenever we can bring guys to the ground when we can tackle when they're wide open, unblocked. Anything else? <laughs> Sorry, that's it. No, I uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. He also cut a caught a touchdown and ran yeah. one one. Mm-hmm. Athletic we guy, him, but yeah, we made him look like you know Cam Newton. It's like, oh my God, this is this guy's amazing. Why is he not starting at quarterback? You know, that's what happens whenever you just absolutely don't cover a guy when he motions out of the backfield. And I don't know. That's it. Sorry. No, you're all good, man. All right. Offensively, 672 yards of offense. You score 48 in regulation. Uh, Just too many missed opportunities. I mean, it just wasn't good enough. And before we go player by player, kind of like we normally do, have some thoughts. Uh, first thought, did not love the fake field goal. And I think it was there. You know, I think if, if Braden Willis catches that ball, I do think maybe he gets the first down, but had a chance to go up 17 to nothing. You had all the momentum. A uh, great chance to get points there. Uh, I just didn't love it, you know. I, I didn't love it. But that being said, multiple opportunities to go up twenty-one nothing in this football game, and you should have been up twenty-one to nothing if the left tackle and the left guard would get their asses set. Theo East catches a quick, walks in. The end zone gets called back because the left tackle and left guard have no fucking sense of urgency to get set and lined up on the ball so that you can score a touchdown and go up 21, nothing in the football game play gets brought back. You then get called for offensive PI on another touchdown. You kick a field goal. You're up 17 to nothing instead of 21 to nothing. And if you wouldn't have run the fake, maybe you're up 24 to nothing. When you're playing a team that you're, there's really just not a ton of separation between you and any of these teams in the conference, that shit matters. Get lined up. You're a tempo team. How can you not be in your stance? Get lined up. It makes no sense. What, do you want to blame Biedenbo for that? No, get lined up, dude. Uh, there's no, like, that's that, that's just get lined up. I was not a huge fan of some of the fourth down calls. Uh, Now, the lone conversion on fourth down, Mims TD worked beautifully. I mean, he's wide open. You should probably cover that guy. But you think about, you know, what one of the fourth down calls, it was kind of like a pick play for Eric Gray. They're in man coverage. It doesn't work at all. Dylan Gabriel doesn't get the ball out of his hands. Takes a sack, turnover on down. Was not, whatever they were trying to execute, it did not work. Uh, the other one, it's like a wedge blocking concept, I guess. It, something we have not seen from them uh, throughout the season. And I don't know if Guyton busted or what, but it whatever they were going for, I don't know why you just don't run counter. It was working great. So, yeah, that that's another turnover on down. Um. Might as well just get my overtime thoughts out of the way. 
Overtime. Didn't mind the trick play. I, I see, I've seen a lot of people be like, why would you run that uh, 12-yard game first down? That's why. Now your quarterback gets blasted. Not ideal. <laughs> right. Not ideal. I will be the first one to admit that. But it, I mean, it accomplished the goal. Yeah, could you have, could you tell Drake Stoos, maybe, you know, put it on more of a line. Safety for them made a good play. Heads up play, good read, goes and smashes DG, legal physical play. Hey, it's football, 12-yard gain, first down Sooners. I did not have a problem with that play like a lot of people did, apparently. Now, I did not love going to the Wildcat the next play, right? Or if you're going to go it, put the ball in Eric Gray's hands. Have him run the football. Not Braden Wilson. There's nothing against Braden Willis, but Eric Gray's been your best player for the last several weeks. For giving anybody the rock, I'm giving it to him. And, and Bevel is capable also of just handing off the GT counter that had been working. So I, I didn't love that. But then second and eight, Ted, when I tell you there are some times where I turn on the tape and very rarely can I go, no, 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 that can't, can't be it. Rewind. Oh my God. No, that can't be possible. He couldn't have made that mistake. No way. Rewind. Let's watch it again. You're missing something. And I wasn't. Oklahoma, second and eight in overtime. Uh, I think it's an understatement to say a big play in the football game. Game's on the line. Second and eight. Jeff Levy dials up. Zone insert, which has been one of their bread and butter plays this year. They've run it very efficiently. Braden Willis kind of... Finds some finds his way through the trash of the inside zone concept, blocks one of the backers, zone insert. Chris Murray pulls on zone insert. No one blocks the three technique. How does that fucking happen? How? I, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Is that I don't know either. Is that like he gets he the busted, man? He ran, it just ran the wrong zone play. insert, bread and butter play. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. He pulls. No one blocks the three technique tackle for a loss, third and long. In overtime, when the game is on the line, you've got one of your guys who has been, I mean, honestly, been a pretty damn consistent player for him. Runs the wrong play. No one blocks the defensive tackle. Braden Willis is going searching for his backers like, oh my God, why is this giant person in my face? Then gets blown up in the backfield. Tackle for loss. I I I don't know what to say about that. What dude am I supposed to say, Jeff? Fire Jeff Levy. He's off. No, the play call was fine. If they block it correctly, which they had done throughout the football game, that's a nine yard, maybe that. That eight-yard, nine-yard game with the way that they'd been running, maybe maybe he scores with how they'd been running it earlier in the game. So, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, what? I, I know people want to blame a lot of people, but it's you just got to do your damn job out there on the field. Sure. I mean, it's very similar to what you're saying about some of these defensive players. Like, everyone wants to blame the coaches, man. That's not the coach's fault. That's a play that they have run 
and I chart them all. I don't know. They've probably run it 120 times this season. It's probably their second most run play after like the variations of the counter concept. Zone insert, day one install. Pull. I I don't know what to tell you people. <laughs> I I really don't. Like I, I don't know what to say. Other than you cannot make that mistake in that moment. And the thing I know about Murray is like no one's no one's gonna be more upset about it than him. Right? Uh, he's I'm sure he feels awful about it, but just a massive, massive mistake. And then the only other thought on overtime is every angle we saw from in the stadium, the field goal looked good. But you and I, we talked to the video guys afterward uh, on the bus headed to the airplane, and the guy that was shooting it from the end zone for OU said it it wasn't good. I said, well, you guys watch a lot of field goals. I'm going to take your word for it, man. So you got to put it down the middle, Zach Schmidt. And yeah. now yeah, that's you can't leave it up to the officials. If you leave anything up to the officials this year, you're going to get screwed. That has been shown over and over and over and over. And even in this game, it was shown over and over. I Tell me about the Anton Harrison downfield call. Was he downfield? You want, uh, you want to know my note? Yeah. Uh, and Bill Beanboat very rarely, very rarely gets after an official. Very rarely. He's usually down way on the end of the field watching his guys, right? And it was it was that zone insert play, RPO off of it. This is this is just the truth. Anton Harrison whooped his guy's ass too badly. He blocked him too far down the field. He took him and moved him too far down the field. That's the truth. And that is not how the rules should be applied. If you take a dude and you whoop his ass four yards down the field, that should not be a penalty in the RPO concept. Now, when you're working up to the second level and you're dancing with the linebacker, I get it. But when you take another man and you put him four yards deep on that concept, it's just you versus him. You ain't tricking him. You're whooping his ass. That should be rewarded, not punished. That's my take on it. Yeah. But you're right. That was a that was a big, big play in the game because Marvin Mims had a huge catch on that play and got called back. Yep. But I listen, I'll get I'll get mad at Anton Harrison for a lot of things. Not getting mad at him for that one. You, yep. you blocked your guy too well. Sorry. I guess. I, I mean now let me ask you this. The um so the trick play, Gabriel takes the huge shot. They have to stop play. They could have put Bevel in just to hand it off. Or could they Bevel have- was in on the Wildcat stuff. He was just way out at wide receiver. He okay. was in he was in the game. Could they have called timeout and got Dylan Gabriel back in the game? We talked about it on the broadcast, remember? And I always thought you could, but 
and this is just, I, I, I'm going to be completely honest. I do not know the rule. I've not read the rule book when it comes to that specific situation. I saw Venables go talk to the official. That's, that's why I think Brent Venables went and asked him, hey, can I call timeout and bring Dylan back in the game? And I'm guessing they told him no. Right. Because, and we talked about it on the radio broadcast. Like, we all watched him talking to the white hat about it. And I assume it was either about that or like, hey, you're not going to review it for targeting or something like that. Like, But I, I'm assuming he was asking, hey, if I burn a timeout, can I get Dylan Gabriel back in the game? Yeah. But I, we don't know. I'm sure someone will ask Venables that on Monday night at Rudy's. Probably. <laughs> um, you know, my take on that is, again, it's a it's – a, I will, I will admit that it's perhaps a shortcoming on my end. I don't give a shit about that. Block the insert right on second and eight. I'm like, with I you. That's like, I don't care about whether Dylan Gabriel was in the game or not on first down. That doesn't matter to me. The mistake on second and eight is what matters to me. So, yep. Okay. Let's just run through these guys quickly. I, I thought Dylan Gabriel played about as well as we've seen him play. Yep. He was deep. He was money on the deep stuff. Yeah. All things considered, you know, 28 to 40, 449 and six touchdowns and you lose. My goodness. Uh, now the interception, that was a competitive play, right? Um, it was a long throw. I, I thought Stoops had it, but 25 was able to wrestle it away. Um, those things happen, right? Sometimes guys make good plays, right, on the football. And that's kind of what happened there. I thought, DG was aggressive with the ball. Uh, thought he was really accurate for the most part. Tech, with what they were doing defensively, dared them to push it down the field. They were playing really aggressive from a coverage standpoint. And to Dylan Gabriel's credit and the wide receiver's credit, they made him pay for it. Right? Mims thought Theo Weiss made some huge plays. But... Dylan Gabriel put it out there for him, gave those guys a chance uh, to go make plays, and they made some. I also thought Dylan Gabriel did some nice things with his legs. So I thought, honestly, that's that's what I expected him to look like all season. And maybe that's not fair, right? But the way that he played in that game, the difference maker he was in that game, kind of like the I don't know if gunslinger is the right word, but just how aggressive he was in the passing game. That's what I expected from him in the 2022 season. And uh, it was, it was good to see it. It was unfortunately last game of the season. Yeah, no, he, I agree. I thought he was, I thought he was excellent for the most part. Um, You know, even late whenever he pulled one down and, you know, tried to run over a guy there, you know, he was in the mode of trying to go put this team on his back and go win the thing. And that's what we've kind of been asking for him to do. And 450 yards and six touchdowns, plus some some nice additions in the running game, he did his part for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that running game, Eric Gray thought he was really good in the counter scheme stuff. Um, his sense of timing on that. A lot of that stuff was blocked up really, really well. Uh, did a nice job. He's... He's been really, really good this season. Uh, Javante Barnes. I don't know how that third down run was on a first down. I don't know. 
That's like the only note I have for, you know, what we saw from him. It's like, it's just a horrible spot. Other than that, I don't know what to say. I, it was it's pathetically bad. I watched the sideline official run past the first down, down marker to spot the ball, and as he ran out there, he veered back onto the other side of it. Just insane. Yeah, so but you, awful. Yeah, I thought you know I thought the running game was could have been have been better, sure, but pretty pretty productive and crisp for the most part. Uh, wide receiver wise, huge game for Marvin Mims. Uh, it would be wise to cover him. Uh, had the easiest touchdown of his life in this game, and probably the best catch of his career. Also, that was that catch he made going around that guy's back was up there the best catches we've seen from an Oklahoma wide receiver. That was, that was a badass football play. Unbelievable. I don't know. I, I still don't understand how he made that happen. It's, it's, it's a blind one handed catch around a player and kind of catching it and pinning it and bobbling it and catching it and never seeing the football. It's crazy. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, Jalil Farouk, I guess he's just Mr. Speed Sweet. I mean that's that's his role on the team. I now he he made chicken salad out of chicken, you know what, on one of them. But he is. I just don't understand why they don't find other ways to get him the football, uh, especially in the intermediate passing game. We've talked about that. No need to beat a dead horse there. Uh, Drake Stoops, pretty typical Drake Stoops game. Some nice catches. The one where he fought to the one yard line that was. That was pretty much the, a microcosm of him as a player. That was that was fun to watch. Now, is he buying DG dinner this week? Probably, because <laughs> that was hug him out, hey, hug him out a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I thought he did a did a nice job. And then Theo Weiss, man, it was it it was I was happy for him, and it's been I think it's been. I think it's been a struggle of a season for him on the field, mentally, whole thing, just not hadn't just hadn't produced. And for him to make those types of plays, I was, I was glad to see that. And those were huge plays in the game. Yep. When we had to have them. Yeah, you're right. Huge plays. Um, you know, he's one of the more uh, you know, wide receivers that has some size to him. That creates a little bit more of a matchup problem. You know, we we've been talking about the the wide receiving core kind of as a group, and you know, as a group, like we're not real fast as a group, and we're not real big as a group. And you'd you'd rather be one or the other. You'd rather have like some really good size, or just have some absolute burners that can really separate and we're just kind of stuck in the middle right now, but he's one of the guys that does give you a little bit more size out there and can go up and make some plays. Yeah. I think you and I both agree. And I know that there's some, some young talented guys, right? Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, that, you know, you hope let's be real. You hope they stick around that that's a real thing in college football. You just got to throw that disclaimer out every year now. And you hope those guys can become the players the coaching staff think they can be, but they got to upgrade the talent at wide receiver. They got to find some guys that can get some more separation, man. I mean, that has become crystal clear to me over these last couple of weeks. 
Yep. And, you know, that's kind of the formula to beat Oklahoma right now is is not very hard. You know, as the game wears on and your your defensive backs get more and more comfortable, you start to play more man coverage, tighten everyone up to the box, cover one, great against the run, zero, great against the run, shut everything down at the line of scrimmage. You can't – it's hard to RPO against cover one because you don't have guys running free, that you're not taking advantage of overhang players. And it's like you you either got to move people off of the ball in the run game or you got to get separation at wide receiver and be able to throw and catch under duress. And we've struggled with that big time. Now, we struggled for a big stretch in that game against Tech, but then we started pushing down the field and, and the receivers answered the call and started making some big competitive catches in man-to-man coverage. Absolutely. Uh, guy I thought had another great game, Braden Willis. Now they asked him to do a lot in the running game. And, you know, he had some plays where, you know, he swung and missed. That happens when when you're you're asking him to do everything that you're asking him to do in the run game. But thought they did a nice job of getting him touches, right? Caught the ball in that flat concept on that RPO stuff, uh, had some nice catches in the middle of the field, nice production, couple touchdowns, uh, just, he, he continues to be a bright spot. Now, uh, got banged up. Uh, I think he was already playing banged up, but, um, it, it seems like he, it, it's nothing serious. So that that's good. Yeah. Yep. He's, um, he's had a really good season. Um, proud of the effort that he's put out there this year. He's had great production. He's had, you know, just an unbelievable year as a blocking tight end. He's made some money out there. He's 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 earned a spot to go play in the NFL. I don't know like, how highly he's going to get drafted, but he's he's going to play have a chance to play at the next level. And if he continues to to play and practice like he has here, then he'll make a football team for sure. Um, interested to see how how some of these guys into the season uh with the bowl game yeah i brayden is a guy that you know this is the first year he's been able to stay healthy i i don't know what he's gonna do but i know this no matter what he ends up deciding to do not gonna change how i feel about the guy one bit yep and now won't be surprised either way with the type of seasons he's had. Now you you got to start. No, you want to finish what you start. Don't get me wrong, but I mean with with some of the injuries he's had in the past, like you make it through the full season pretty much unscathed. It's a tough decision, man. Yep, it is. It is, and you know, I, I obviously the all bowl games are are relevant and important and they're meaningful to the guys that invest time and energy in practicing and preparing and going out to represent the school like that I can't I'm not saying that bowl games are not meaningful but obviously some are more meaningful than others and it it be, there's it it can be more difficult to convince or even convince yourself you know to to play in something that is you know, it's not a New Year's Six. It's, but I think he'll play. I hope he plays. I do. I understand if he doesn't, but I hope that I hope all of the guys play in the bowl game, no matter what it is, no matter who it's against. Yeah, out of 
all the all the guys that I think that couldn't play that will, he's probably at the top of the list yeah. for me because I don't, I don't know. He just just seems that like that type of guy. Okay, quick quick stuff on the offensive line. Um, Anton Harrison thought he battled nicely. Uh, did a good job at the point of attack on some of the counter stuff. I did think like he didn't look. He didn't look like he had as much explosion in that game. I don't know if he was banged up or what, but he was a little leakier in pass pro than we've seen him be. Uh, got pulled late a, a couple of times. And he got rolled up on the last play of the game in overtime. Uh, left the game in a boot. I, I mean, that could be the last time we see him play for Oklahoma. It, it really could, but he... Man, he had a really good season. He's still not the player I think he could be, but he's still pretty damn good. So yeah. I and I I haven't talked to Anton or anyone about the decision he's gonna make, but I'd be very, very surprised to see him play at Oklahoma again. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of I've seen a couple of them that have him in the like the top twenty five prospects uh in the draft. So I would it's hard to hard to argue with that if he was to leave, and I don't know what what it is now. Those things always are constantly changing. But yeah, he's had a he's had a really good year from where he started to where he is at the end of the year. He's made a lot of really good improvement. Yeah, completely agree. Okay, McCain Matoyer there at left guard. Same story, different game. Now he actually him and Conchal had some good double teams. Uh, in some of the the zone stuff and some of the gap stuff, but you didn't hear much from Hutchings. I mean, they did a pretty decent job on a dude that's tough as hell. Yeah, yeah, but I, I will say, Matoya got beat clean a couple times in, in pass pro, and despite his best effort to then trip the guys after he got beat, he uh, he was not able to succeed in those efforts. But I appreciate uh, I appreciate the effort nonetheless. But Robert Conchal, ah. Uh, I I hate the way he snaps the football so much. And it was an issue, man. It threw off the timing of some of the stuff. It threw off the timing of some of the RPO stuff. I, I think a couple plays, it forced Dylan Gabriel to not be able to really actually decide what he wanted to do with the football like he's supposed to in those concepts. That's a problem. But, I mean, he... And he he lost a couple battles in the game. Don't get me wrong, but Conjul, for the most part, I thought he held up. Uh, I thought he held up pretty well. the The biggest issues were the snaps, and there's just too many of them floating wide right, floating wide right, and just how does is that not a conversation to hey just snap the ball harder, get it back there? I would assume that conversation is taking place. Like, hey, man. Quit it, lad. I but it'd be Dylan Gabriel's like, dude, you've got to get me the ball faster. You you got to get it back here. Don't kill me with it, but get it to me. I would say, please try to kill me with it. And it, I know, like down there in the moment, that it has to feel like it's ten seconds for that ball to get back to Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, it is what it is, man. Yeah, Chris Murray, the play in overtime just kind of overshadowed what I thought was another pretty solid game from him. Uh, you just, you make a critical, 
critical error like that. And it's just hard for me to acknowledge all the good that he did. I, and I thought he was awesome coming around as that first puller on those counter concepts yeah. or some of the one back power stuff. I thought, I thought he brought the physicality, did some really good stuff, but man, it's just, it, it's hard not to just forget all that. But I, I do think, I think Chris has been, he's been a really good player for this program. Um, especially when you think about kind of his physical limitations, I think that he is, He's done. He's done a nice job, and he plays. He plays the way you want an offensive guard to play. So um, I'm not gonna. I'm trying to not let that bust like make me angry. Even though I yelled a bunch, and I think I said the f word a couple of times, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but it. Uh, he he had a he had a pretty solid night. Uh, I guess. Ugh. No, he. I, I do. Agree I hate that me. for him, man, because that's one guy. That's a guy that cares, like deep, yeah. like he. He really, really cares, and that's why. That's why I'm, so frustrated about it. Yep. Well, um, I I agree on the pulling stuff. I thought he was excellent, excellent coming around, physical, tough. You know, and he's like you said, he's uh he reminds you of a guard. He's gritty, he's nasty, he plays physical and yeah, that's a that's a frustrating way to end a end what otherwise has been a really solid season for him. Uh, last guy, Tyler Guyton. I let me tell you, man, this guy has a chance to be special. I'm talking first round. You know, top fifteen type pick special. Now he he had some bad moments in the game, right? Uh, he had some mental errors in the game, but if he can have the type of off season that he should have, I think he can be the best lineman in the Big Twelve Conference next year. I I really like he has that type of talent. He should be able to work himself into arguably the best offensive lineman that Bill Beanbow has coached at Oklahoma. Wow. He has that ceiling physically. The way that he moves, the way that he's able to bend, if he if he dedicates himself to it, to getting stronger, to getting better technically, to working to be more proactive with his hands, uh, to settling his feet in some situations. He should be an awesome player. The one thing that I think he does have, like I think he has a passion for the game. I do. I think, I think he wants to be good, but that's what they need to, they need to make it crystal clear. Like, he can change his life with this game. He can change his parents' life, his kids' life, his grandkids' life. He has that type of talent. He does. Now it's up to him to put the work in and get the most out of it. And I know that that sounds – maybe I'm putting a lot of pressure on him, like I, <laughs> but just when you see some of the things he's able to do – he is he's got what it takes to be a special player and 
you you got to know that if you're him, you got to embrace it and you got to go get it, man. Because guys that are that big with that long arms, they can move like that. There's not a lot of them on planet Earth. There just aren't. So that that was you know like the silver lining of the game for me was watching watching the way he played and thinking, okay. This guy, he's he's got a chance to be really, really special. Well, that's good. That's good. We're gonna need it. We got um, you know, we're we're gonna have some holes to fill on the offensive line, and if he can have a great off season and continue to gain experience, and seems like a really smart kid, and you're talking about the athleticism that very few people possess. I mean, that could take you a long way. Hopefully, he pulls it off. I think he will. I'm with you. All right, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys your biggest takeaway from OU's loss to Texas Tech. Uh, we got some interesting responses uh, to this call your shot, but we'll uh, we'll keep it clean with a couple of these. This first one comes from at JB3916. He says, the inability to step on the throat of the opponent when you have them on the ropes. Yep. Killer mentality. Killer mentality. I've, I've, I talk about this a lot. Um, can't remember if I've said it on the podcast. I probably have. Winning is a skill. All right. It's a skill. Teams, good teams understand how to win football games, you know, just because of the way things unfold, you know, maybe you've got an illness running through the team. Maybe you've got several starters out. Maybe you've had a couple of really horrible calls that have gone against you or bounces of the football that have gone against you. Good teams find a way to win. They always do. It's, it's, you know, call it sooner magic and call it whatever you want. Good teams find a way to win football games. And right now, we don't know how to win. We're close. I think we're better than our opponent in most of the games that we've lost this year. But we just don't know how to win. We don't know how to execute whenever it matters. Situational football uh, has has been a an Achilles heel for the, for our, our team and our players. So I agree. Yeah, I, I will say this, and I really didn't want to mention this, but Matt Wells kept saying that on the sideline. You know, we got to step on their throat. We got to step on their throat. And can you imagine how tough that game was for that man? Brutal. Yeah. I mean, just uh, for for it to unfold that way, I felt I felt awful for Matt Wells. And I, I like to think those players feel even worse than I do for not delivering that win for them. Yeah. Well, I you know, I uh I feel bad for him. I I don't know what to say. I you know that you've got I don't know a hundred opportunities in that game just to go win it. And most of them are not difficult, difficult plays. It's usually stuff that's routine, you know, routine execution. 
Yep. All right. This last one comes from Corey White, who says, a microcosm of the year in one game, good play, not sustained, need quality depth developed and help in the portal. We're not that far off, but there's a fine line between winning and losing. Realistically, could be 10-2, and two, but we're not. Look forward to the future. Boomer. It's a pretty positive, positive way to put everything from our man, Corey. How about that? Positive and true. I, I think the big 12 is, is solid this year, but every team that we lost to, you know, the TCU game and the Texas game, those are losses, right? It's just, those games were losses. Um, if we play our best game and have everyone healthy and it, like, if you want to play that game, who knows, but those are losses. We should have beat Kansas state. We should have beat Baylor. We should have beat West Virginia should be Texas tech. And in my opinion, there's, I, it's not a bunch of mental gymnastics to try and say that you should have beat those teams. It's executing routine run of the mill plays. Catching wide open balls, kicking field goals, making tackles when you're unblocked. All right. Birthday shout outs time. What a fun episode this has been. Birthday shout out sign. Happy third birthday to Sailor Pick and Paw. Pick and Poe. Pick and Paw. Good job. Pick and Pow. Pick and Paw. I'm sticking with my original. Pick and Paw. Yeah. Happy sixth birthday to Jack Elliott. Easy one. Nice. (laughs) Happy birthday, Jack. Happy 24th birthday to Tyler Rickman. Happy 49th birthday to Porter Montgomery. Happy 57th birthday to Big Eddie Burnett. Happy birthday, Big Eddie. Happy birthday to Derek Board. And last but certainly not least, happy 25th birthday to Mallory Forey. All right, let's recap. It was a wild week. In college football, Uh, we'll recap some of the best games. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Loves All says you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. It's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. 
Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and is a proud member of the OSSAA. There are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. Week 13 did not disappoint in college football. Ted, let's start in Columbus, where number three Michigan went to the Buckeyes' house and smacked them around. 45-23, Michigan. I was wrong about this game. Yeah. I I was too. I think um, everyone that I know that talked about it or picked it was was wrong about it. That was that was an ass kicking on the road. That's I did not see that coming. A a fourth quarter domination and listen for Michigan to do that without Blake Corum makes it even more impressive. I know he came out there. Uh, he played what the one play. It was clear he won right. We didn't see him the rest of the game, but I, I did think Ohio State kind of missed an opportunity early to to try and create some separation while Michigan was still trying to figure out how they were going to have to play offensively. Right, JJ McCarthy was looking a little out of sorts, looking a little uncomfortable early, and they basically Ohio State basically said you know what? We're going to play all these guys around the line of scrimmage, and we don't think you're going to throw the ball down the field. And Michigan did it early, and then they said, you know what? Let's give it a try. <laughs> and J.J. McCarthy, I mean, he, to his credit, he hadn't had to be that guy for them this season, and when he was asked to be that guy, he delivered. And Cornelius Johnson made some good plays, man. And those were huge plays in that game in the first half. And what, 69-yard touchdown, 75-yard touchdown for Johnson. And what Michigan was able to accomplish late running the football, those were some statement runs for Donovan Edwards. Hey, that's what happens. You play all those guys up close to the line of scrimmage, you create a crease. See ya. That's right. That's I um you know, I still don't know I still don't know how I mean that's a, it's an unbelievable win and I guess I'm not I'm not even going to talk about that. I'll just I was I was really impressed with like they went into a hornet's nest after last year losing last year with everything they had on the line hosting Michigan this year that place was cranked up and you know to not have your best player and to go into that place and fall down early fall behind early and just stay in the fight keep answering the bell and start delivering knockout blows and get it done late with defense and running game dude that's an old school that's a that's an old school win that's big time impressive it was it was really impressive. And you know, you look at 
what Ohio State was able to do in the game, right? Offensively, run game was meh. So CJ Stroud, he needed to be really, really good. And I thought I thought he was good, but he wasn't great. And those late interceptions were painful. I mean, painful, painful plays for him, that team, that fan base. I mean, this and maybe they're not they're not all the way out of the college football playoff picture just quite yet, but it lost him the Heisman. I mean, that was that that was a brutal game for CJ Stroud. Like, and he wasn't that bad, but he wasn't what he needed to be with how Michigan was controlling things at the line of scrimmage. Hey man, he, that's what happens when you play quarterback, right? You you're going to have to wear those losses in games like that uh, whenever you get outscored and you're at home and you know you're expected to to have the better offense and the better matchup. That's just kind of how it goes. And I there is a war of words right, that went into it last year and then kind of built back into it again this year a little bit trying to add some fuel to the fire I guess everyone was you know talking about the uh what the hardball statement about born on third base and all of that stuff and you know I I just love how Michigan went in there and handled their business no excuses there's excuse making last year was it the punter that started uh tweeting out to all the Ohio State fans and those Ohio State team about no excuses this time Take the L. That was uh, that's something, man. When even the punters talking trash. Michigan and they earned it. Go and plant the flag in the middle of the field. Little uh, little where, Baker Mayfield reenactment is. Where's the pearl clutching this time? Is Michigan have to going to have to give like a full on apology and a statement? And is that going on this time, or is everyone past it? That everyone's it's a rivalry, baby. It's how it should be. And listen, Jim Harbaugh, you talk about a complete 180 of a reputation in two seasons. Credit to that man. Remember, took the pay cut, mm-hmm. didn't make a big deal about it, took the pay cut, said, Hey, let me go earn this. And that is exactly what he has done. That was. That was a big-time coaching performance by Harbaugh, and I know a few Ohio State fans that they are very, very angry with Ryan Day. The only regular season games this dude has lost, and they want his ass gone, basically, like it is. He's lost two Big Ten games in four years yeah, something like that. Yeah, it, but <laughs> that's just – I mean, that's the pressure cooker that being the Ohio State coach is, right? You yep. – you're expected to recruit really, really well, to win the Big Ten and beat Michigan, and to go to the playoff. Now, like that, those are the expectations. And That's crazy. They he has they have fallen short of those two years in a row. And those people do not accept losing to Michigan. They will not accept it. So I some people are making it sound like always oh, on the hot seat. I don't know if they lose to Michigan again next year and don't play for a Big Ten championship again. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll tell you though. To me, Michigan has been able to to beat almost everyone with good run game and excellent defense. And the difference 
at least in this game and over the uh, last year as well, not great, but way better at quarterback than they've been. Now, J.J. McCarthy, I don't know how he stacks up, but yesterday he was solid. And that was the difference, to be able to have someone that could push it down the field whenever they needed to. They just haven't had that previously. And it's always been like, well, gosh, Jim Harbaugh is supposed to be the quarterback guy. Why can't he get someone in there? And J.J. McCarthy is at least good enough right now at quarterback to to give them that extra that that missing piece that they haven't had and it's it's changed the way they play. Yeah, and I think that this could be I think that was a really important performance for JJ McCarthy for his confidence moving forward. Yeah. Right? I I think that was huge and not only did he do it pushing it down the fields, uh, pushing it down the field and making plays with his arm and he did it with his legs and that's something we knew he could do. Right? We knew that he could run a little bit they they let him run a little more, and he was able to extend some plays and use that mobility as a weapon. And yeah, I thought I I didn't think he was that guy. He really hadn't been asked to be that guy. But when the lights were brightest, man, he stepped up and he played a hell of a football game. And of all the players in a football game, where being on the road matters, it's probably like. Kicker and quarterback, right? Quarterback the most. Kickers being on the road seems, you know, you like to be comfortable. Everyone else, it's almost it's almost the same. Now, you're in the environment, and there's travel involved, and it's loud. But quarter, like the pressure is all, like, at the quarterback, you know? And to be able to make those plays, it, like, that's to do it all on the road is even, you know, even more of a confidence boost, I think. Did you did you see his little like pageant girl wave? That was <laughs> no. pretty damn good, man. That cracked me up. That made me like JJ McCarthy. That's good. That's good. That's awesome. I don't know. I don't know if that was the Queen of England. I don't know. I don't know who he was emulating there, but that was pretty That's awesome. uh that was pretty damn <laughs> funny. All right, next game. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish went to the Coliseum. And they got beat 38-27. USC emerges victorious. They're now 11-1, about to play Utah for a Pac-12 championship next week. And one team had Caleb Williams and the other team did not. Ted, I can can give you all the analysis you want. I can talk about USC's run game being pretty damn solid. Even without Travis Dye, that was great. But there was one man that made... All the difference in the world in this football game, and he played quarterback for USC, and he was spectacular. Yep, yeah, he was. Um, he was impressive, as always. You know, he's the way he is in the pocket, the way he can move, create space for himself, accurate passer, big arm, and you know when he gets out to run, can absolutely turn your lights out. Just all around dangerous player. And he's the guy that you love to hate, man. Backpedaling into the end zone, like taunting the Notre Dame players. He's just like the. It's uh, I. It's really it's what it is. Is it's great for college football. I I kind of hate saying that, but you know USC's always kind of had those type of guys a little bit that that were good and a little bit flamboyant as well, and he. He's fitting that mold. 
I did you see the nails? Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I and I will say that Caleb, Caleb's got a bit of an edge to him, man. Yeah, like that dude, he is. He's a competitor. Like he, he's got some fire to him as well. That kind of to go along with, you know, whether you want to call it arrogance or attitude, whatever. Right? He's he's got a good combination, and I'm not trying to make it sound like a bunch of those other guys for USC didn't impact the game. Of course they did, but his impact on the game compared to everyone else, you're just like, holy shit, look at this guy, and. Some of those plays where he was dancing around in the pocket, extending plays, finding guys down the field. Part of me was like, his offensive line has to just be say, please throw the ball, man, please. <laughs> but some of that stuff was ridiculous. And he had Heisman moment after Heisman moment after Heisman moment in this game. I mean, he had about six or seven plays that are going to go on that Heisman trophy reel just from this game alone and he was he was toying with Notre Dame. I mean, what, three rushing touchdowns? Mm-hmm. He was he was great. Yeah, and they packed the Coliseum. That place was uh it was slammed. That was uh that was that was cool it to sounded see. Sounded like there were quite a few Notre Dame fans there. I'm sure, yeah. Like I'm when sure they were way. when they were making big plays offensively, it sounded like there was some uh and Notre Dame obviously ton of fans everywhere but that was i thought that was interesting yeah to be honest with you you know i did didn't get to see much of the game live uh i didn't see any of the game live but was kind of keeping pace with the score and the way it started i was kind of shocked to see that notre dame actually kept it as close as they did um but you know usc's defense man i i don't i don't know what you call it opportunistic whatever but that team forces more turnovers i don't know how many they've got on the year but it's a huge number i i will say drew pine handed them a gift right on the fumble and that's how it's been for all year it's just like crazy uh, things have just bounced right to them the thing that stood out to me this game you know because we were wondering can usc's front seven hold up against notre dame's run game right and I really thought USC's defensive line controlled the most, like the majority of the game, right? Notre Dame, they could not get the running game going early. Then they fell into that big hole, kind of had to abandon it a little bit, but USC's defense ended up, even though one was a gift, right? Like ended up producing two more turnovers. It's a hell of a season for USC, man. I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than Lincoln Riley can coach. And I didn't think, I didn't think you could take a program that was four and eight and turn them into what USC is doing. Like, I didn't think you could do it that quickly, even with all the guys they got in the the portal. I thought, you know, you had, you needed some time to establish your systems offensively and defensively, to kind of establish your new culture, kind of what you're all about and how you work, like all that stuff. And turns well, out you can do it, man. I mean, that's, record, that's what they've done. Or uh, excuse me, the schedule worked out perfect for that because they didn't have, other than the Utah game, which they lost, 
they didn't really have much of a challenge. It was like a slow, gradual build to their season that kind of allowed them because they didn't play great. You know, they survived some of those games, didn't play great all the time, but survived. Um, but, you know, it got rough late and they were by that time, they had, it feels like they had settled into what they were doing and kind of gotten up to speed. But yeah, they're, I don't feel like Utah's going to beat them in the Pac-12 championship. They just got too much momentum rolling and too much confidence. And, you know, it, it's a, it's an impressive feat that they've pulled off. But I hate to say it is not a good thing for college football if you don't like the transfer portal. Yeah. You know, because like the last thing is like, you. well, the transfer portal, you know, it's hard to hard to put together a Frankenstein team and you got to build culture and you got to have like togetherness and you got to have your systems and all of that. Got to develop, develop. It's like, who can you bring in every year? Who can you bring in? That's, that's just going to toss a match into the powder keg. If you can bring in a Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison every year, you find a way to do it. Well, that's you know we go go back to the um call your shot biggest takeaways you know that's the difference between 10 and 2 a year ago and where we are now is a lot of these toss up games that we should have won and didn't win a player like Caleb Williams like last year that was that was kind of the difference like and a lot of them was like just pulling things totally out of your ass that you got lucky with the Kansas game, the Iowa state, the run in that game that was like on a bust busted play or whatever, Texas, you know, he comes in and saves the day, whipping it downfield, gets a long run. I mean, those, that's the difference between losing four or five games last year. Yep. USC 11 and one. Going to play for a Pac-12 title, and unless you can think of someone else, I kind of think Caleb Williams already won the Heisman. Yeah, I the only way would be a, a bad performance and a loss to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, which I guess there's a chance of that. Uh, Utah's a good football team. They're well coached, but I don't see it happening. I'm with you. One last note from that game. Uh, the running back for Notre Dame, Estime, guy looked massive. I mean, looked like <laughs> it looked like, like it was like he looked hilariously large. I did that was just I was watching the game. I was like, who the hell is that dude? <laughs> like that's that's my last note from that one. All right, last game, the Civil War. Oregon went to Corvallis and things got weird. Ted, a big Beavers comeback to win it. 38-34, first and foremost, the neon orange versus the neon green was just glorious to behold. I mean, what a uniform matchup in this football game. Yeah, it was uh, It was something. We couldn't figure out if the turf was weird or just the, the brightness from the uniforms was messing with the camera. Yeah, like the exposure was off because of the neon colors. Like it got cloudy and the, the – the the field went from like a nice green to looking gray. It was so strange. Yeah, it was uh 
It was weird. It was something. But what a game by Oregon State. Huge comeback. Um, you know, Bo Nix was a little banged up in that one. Went out there, battled, looked like they were going to cruise. And uh, not so fast. I mean, Oregon State's turned into a really solid football team. Yeah, and they, they deserve a ton of credit because Oregon blew this game open in the third quarter, right? If you – if you weren't able to watch it, right, or Oregon State starts to turn the ball over in the third quarter. Uh, Gil Branson threw a pick that gets returned to about the two-yard line. Oregon punches it in. They fumble. Oregon kicks a field goal off of it. Like Oregon was up 31-10 to 10 in this game. But then Oregon State put their big boy pants on and said, you know what, we're running the rock. And they ran it at will. I mean, they ran it straight at Oregon's defense, and they had no answers. And it was with multiple guys, right? Martinez, Fenwick, Newell, like they all were getting their chance to gash Oregon's defense. And Oregon gave them some help, right? Really helps when Oregon's punter drops the ball at the one-yard line, just has to fall on it, sets up a touchdown. Like Dan Lanning went for it on fourth and one on his own 29. They don't convert. Oregon State goes and gets points. Like Nick's Nick's was I I thought he battled again. He's just he's not the same player when he can't take off and run. And like I feel like that's what gets him in rhythm as a player. And ultimately they they had their chance right at the end of the game. And Oregon State's defense, that's one hell of a goal line stand, man. That was that was impressive. What a win for the Beavers. Yeah, that's um it's impressive. Uh you know, and even though disappointing late for Oregon, uh still a pretty nice opening year for Dan Landing, something that they're gonna really be able to build on. Does Bo, Bo Nix gosh, does he have another year? He can't have another year, can he? I don't know. Who knows? Right. Who knows? Yes, yeah. no. I, I, I've got no clue, but man, Oregon, they got some talent that chase Coda dude. Everyone knows about Troy Franklin, but chase Coda had himself a day and DJ Johnson, I believe is the Oregon player's name that, uh, I don't know what that Oregon state fan said to him, but I he punched him right that. in the head. <laughs> I thought a was going to, you know, cause in our game, the tech fans, which we are no, we know about tech fans. Okay. But they stormed the the field, and Aguebu was in the middle of them. And I thought, I thought there for a minute it was going to get ugly. I may or may not have exchanged words uh, with a couple of male Texas Tech students in the tunnel uh, as they were. You know how there's that tunnel, and there's that fence up above it, and like fans could just walk up to it and kind of yell at anyone in the tunnel. They. Uh, yeah. They picked the wrong guy to yell at, and I, well, uh, I unleashed some frustration and did it in front of, like all of OU's administration, and I was just like, I don't care. I was not in the mood. Blake told me that um, he had to stop the recording. <laughs> so Correct. <he> go off. <laughs> Correct. I need that. Uh, we need that that recording. We need to hear it if if he if it was like a throwaway recording. I I believe at one point, and I'll give you the clean version, it was if you're not going to come down here and do something about it, 
then stay up there and shut shut up. That's the so clean were version. they like above the tunnel where you guys yes. were? Yes. Three college kids just yelling at me. And I would I I did not handle it maturely, and I'm fine with that. Now, is there truth to the rumor that someone from Tech slashed the equipment truck's tires? I don't know. Did you ever did you talk to Tip or anyone about it? No. I just heard heard the the people in the bus talking about it. Yeah, I saw a lot of ops people on their phone. So I something happened, it seemed like. Uh, I crazy. hope not. That'd be messed up. Like yeah. you beat us. Like you don't have to vandalize our equipment truck. I, I would I would understand if we won the game, right? I that's whenever you get angry is whenever the other team wins the game. That's whenever you act like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first Football time in Oklahoma, people. There's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that's already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for tailgating either. They're perfect to drink on the golf course, by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. Clubby's first variety pack is out. Got some new flavors in there. I've got a new can as well. Find a place near you that has Clubby's. Visit Clubby seltzers.com and attention business owners you need insurica in your life insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout oklahoma texas and the southwest insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers they compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs insurica's clients become best in class businesses by working with insurica's team of advisors to manage risk Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? Boy, um, we've got the the typical year-end coaching carousel going, the musical chairs, and I think Nebraska, as of right now, got to be the, one of the big winners, being able to get the, the Matt Rule hire when, you know, he, he's, he's fresh off of the Carolina stint. And I thought earlier in the week he said, like the rumor was that he was going to take some time off from coaching uh, maybe that was just take some time off to get the contract right. And Nebraska gets Matt Rule, who I think is perfect for that job. Now, it's going to be a more difficult job than Baylor was. Baylor, he had Joey McGuire, his ace in the hole for recruiting Texas. And, you know, they got some great players in there, developed a great culture, physical, tough culture. You're going to have to do the same thing in Nebraska, but it's going to be more difficult, I think, to get some of the players in there. We'll see. I still think that they got a uh, a home run hire. I'm with you. What eight years? Is that right? Eight. Is that what the contract? I think it. I think yeah. it's eight years. So he's he's got some time. And the one thing you can say about Matt Rule, and I know it didn't go particularly well in Carolina, but 
what he was able to do at Temple was really, really impressive. And what he was able to do at Baylor, remember, because when he took that thing over, it had been burnt to the ground. Yep. And the fact that he was he was able to get them back to kind of that Bryles level as quickly as he did. But they were one and nine his first year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what third year playing for a Big Twelve title with one hell of a defense, unbelievable defense. That f- yeah. Oh, the three down linemen on that defense, hell yeah. Well, but the down linemen, the backers, the two safeties. Oh my god! I thought that every game, I thought that they were. I was just like, oh my god, they're gonna kill somebody. Just brutal, brutal in a good way. The most complimentary you've ever been about another team in that Big 12 championship game broadcast because we loved their football team. Yeah. I I think he can make it work at Nebraska. I really do. Now, remember, his whole thing is you get the athletes with the measurables and then you coach them up, right? And then you find a place for them on the field. So I assume he's going to carry that methodology to Nebraska. One thing about Nebraska and this is, I'm sure Matt Rule had extensive conversations about how this is all going to operate. That is a program and a fan base that are, I think they're willing to do what it takes from an NIL perspective. Yeah. So are. how does Rule balance you know, his ability to evaluate prospects, guys with the measurables, and combine it with that NIL program that they've got there to get the right blend of players to go win football games. I think that's going to be, that's going to be interesting to kind of monitor how that all works for them. Yeah. He'll put together a really good staff and he is, he, he's the anti Scott Frost in like one of the things that I always was really impressed with about Matt rule is like whenever we'd play them in Waco, I watched him in pregame and he just goes out there and he just kind of walks laps around the field and he talks to everybody. He talks to the people in the stadium that are running security. He talks to the officials. He talks to the guys on the other team. He, I mean, it's like he he's working the room and there's a thousand people down there and he talks to everyone, and it's totally different from Scott Frost. I, it, Scott Frost was, you know, not a people person up Prickly. there. Yeah, and it's going to be totally different with Matt Rule, and that fan base is going to absolutely love him. The The biggest winners are the people that cover Nebraska football. Yep. Like on a day-to-day basis because – Jessica Cootie. Jessica, our girl Cootie. What a win for Cootie. I – yeah, you know, I had I was able to interview Matt Rule a lot. He he would come on our Sirius XM show quite a bit, and I mean he was absolutely delightful every single time. Every time we interviewed him, I came away more and more impressed, and that's why I was really cheering for everything to work out for him in North, uh, there in Carolina with the Panthers. But I'll be cheering for him at Nebraska because. The dude is impossible not to like. Like <laughs> once you talk to him, once you you kind of get to get to hear him talk about the game and like his players and like how he views it. It's he's an interesting dude and he's he's really hard to root against. Scott Frost. It's kind of a weird dude. I mean, the, he's just 
the number thing is made for Nebraska. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The, the single, single digits? digits. That is like tailor fit for a program like Nebraska. Like, cause that will be a huge deal. Like Baylor, it was awesome, but they just don't have the size of a fan base to where something like that, like, like they've been waiting for something since the black shirts, right? You know what they should do? They should get an NIL bonus if you're a single digit guy. Probably will. That'd Probably be they'll, they'll that's what it. I would do if I was Matt Rule. I think that I think those will actually kind of work hand in hand. Like if you're getting one, that means you're you're handling your your stuff. So no, that's cool. I, I think that's that's gonna work great for him. Yep. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? Well, unfortunately, uh whenever some teams hire really good coaches. Someone's losing a really good coach. And that somebody is Cincinnati. Mm. They fought off people for a long time, but the Wisconsin job, um, which is a really good job. It's a good job. Uh, I'm kind of shocked that he took it, considering Cincinnati's just coming into a bunch of money, coming into the Big 12. Considering he turned down the Oklahoma interview? Yeah. I, yeah, there's 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 a bunch of things there, and you know Wisconsin, but that division is totally winnable. Um, I don't know. That division's going to go away, though. I know They're, they've got to. It's got to do. They got to do something different. Oh, um, what you're not pumped to watch Purdue, Michigan in the Big Ten championship game? No, uh, but I don't know where Cincinnati goes from there. Um, I, to be honest with you, I haven't even heard any of the rumors and I don't know, like they had to, I'm, I'm sure that he didn't just leave Cincinnati high and dry. Right. Um, I'm sure that there was a long conversation and, you know, they've, they probably counter offered and did everything that they could, especially since they're coming into a lot more money than they've recently had, but they're losing a really good coach there. They'll, but they'll probably like one of the great things that he's leaving them with is is going to be the ability to get a way better coach than they probably could have ever asked for previously. Yeah. But that is, it's, it's not only a big blow for Cincinnati, but I do think it's a big blow for the big 12 as a whole. Agree. Right now, if they replace them with another really, really good head coach, then maybe it's not a talking point, but one of the, one of the most exciting parts about Cincinnati coming to the big 12 was the fact that, Luke Fickle's their head coach and it turned down all kinds of jobs to remain their head coach. But Madison, Wisconsin, man, just too, too much fun to turn down. Apparently big beer guy, apparently, uh, Fickle, big me. beer guy, wrestling and beer, <laughs> my kind of guy. Uh, what do you think though? Were you surprised by it? I was, uh, I was surprised he by kind of always said like Ohio state, Notre Dame. Right. And then that's, that's what it always felt like. That's what it always felt like, but I, I will say I'm not I'm not shocked, but I just have to kind of remind myself it's like, hey, the Big Ten and the SEC are remember they're kind of separating themselves. That yeah. gap is growing and growing and growing. Haves and the have nots kind of. Yep. Yeah, and I think that maybe he saw and said, Oh, this is my opportunity to be in one of those conferences as opposed to, even though I'm excited about the the future of the Big 12, uh, maybe he just 
once it became clear that Jim Leonard wasn't going to be the guy, maybe he just saw him as like, I think I can do something there. So I think he can too. Wisconsin's kind of like they are, they've always done a little bit, maybe always played a little bit over their heads, but they've always had some really good players, especially on the offensive and defensive line, linebackers. Um, you know, he may bring them the ability to to bring in some skill guys and stuff, but I think there's a chance it could work well there. Yeah. He's the best he's the best head coach that they've had in quite a while. I guess since Billima, right? Yeah. I mean, Paul Chris won a lot of games. I don't want to make it sound like he wasn't a good coach, but I think that I think Luke Fickle can take Wisconsin to whatever Wisconsin's ceiling is. I think Luke Fickle's the type of guy that can take him there. Agree. Agree. So yep. we'll we'll see what it is, right? And it's it's actually kind of a bummer that those divisions are gonna go away eventually because it would they could have dominated. It. Yeah. I be nice knows? to get a couple of years run of uh the Iowas and the Northwesterns and the Purdue's Purdue's yeah but yeah no that's a that is undoubtedly a big loss for Cincinnati be interesting to see who ends up with that job because I think that's a good job I think it's a really good job so especially right now it's he's leaving Cincinnati like forget like what his record ever was but he's leaving it at a time where it's the best job it's ever been yeah they're about to get 50 million dollars a year in in media money they're coming to a conference that's losing the the team that's won you know the two teams that have won most of the conference championships or or most of the big time time games and it's kind of up for grabs at that point so yeah yeah all right let's get to my winner and loser but first First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You've got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. That line's so much better when they win, man. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, and no. that is why it has won 25, more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend, Thought about going with the South Carolina Gamecocks, man. What a two-game run for them. Holy hell. 
unbelievable, awesome, so fun to watch that go down. Um, go in and do that on the road. That's incredible. That's incredible. That stretch that they had to finish the season with Tennessee and Clemson, number five and number eight. That's awesome. Yeah. Went to Tennessee. Ten, uh, went to Clemson, not Tennessee. Uh, went to Clemson and got it done 31 30. Overcame a lot of mistakes, too, right? Rattler wasn't exactly perfect, but, you know, the pick six, but they did enough. And DJ Uyunglele, ooh, boy. I mean, their passing game was, let's just say, underwhelming. It was very underwhelming. It was really bad. He just doesn't see it, man. Sometimes quarterbacks just don't see it. He can't see it. He needs, it kind of feels like he needs a change of scenery. Yeah. Like, for whatever reason, it's just not working for him there. But, hey, South Carolina, our man Shane Beamer, back-to-back top 10 wins for Beamer and the Gamecocks. I mean, what a way to finish the regular season for them. What a, Eight and four? What a season. Solid season. I know it's eight and four, and I know he's so pissed. They lost to Missouri and Florida. I Two teams that – they should beat, right? I mean, if if you're going to play like that and beat Tennessee and beat Clemson, you have to – I know they're thrilled and I'm thrilled at 8-4, but you know you, it makes those losses even that more painful, man. But awesome. Awesome job there. It would have been real cool if OU was 8-4, not 6-6. <laughs> I know. Six. I know. <laughs> I know. But – Speaking of great finishes to the regular season, my winner of the weekend, the TCU Horn Frogs. Whoa. I mean, put an absolute smackdown on Iowa State 62 14. Just an utter dismantling in all purple for the Horn Frogs to finish 12 and 0 during the regular season. Uh, Kendra Miller was back there back out on the field looking healthy making plays max duggan probably played himself into getting invited to the heisman ceremony in new york city and sunny dykes in year one at a program that had three really disappointing seasons in a row before he took over got that team undefeated headed to the big 12 championship game and possibly a college football playoff. That, I, I know what Lincoln Riley's done at USC is incredibly impressive. I think what Sonny Dykes has done at TCU is even more impressive. What what a year one under that man for the Horn Frogs. Yeah, and he got a quarterback that was a, I hate to say this, but a, just a guy in conference to, as you pointed out, likely a invitation to the Heisman ceremony. Didn't even win the starting job to start the season. And here they are. Uh, and it kind of feels like maybe they're getting healthier, too. I, I don't know. Did Quentin Johnston play? Nope. But he'll play. I, I'd be really surprised if they don't do whatever they got to do to that ankle for him to play the Big 12 championship game. Yep. And that's that's impressive, but it's far from a guaranteed win for him against Kansas State. That's going to oh, yeah. be a dogfight. 
Uh, K-State took care of business in the Sunflower Showdown in the Big 12 Championship game. Looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. I, I know our buddy Paul Feinbaum said that he's not going to watch it. No one's going to watch it, right? Even though it's on ABC, your employer's network, Paul. <laughs> it's by far. That's one of the dumbest things because it's by far. You look at the matchups in the conference championship games. The Big 12 championship game is the best matchup. It's going to be, it's probably going to be a top 10 matchup, right? When the rankings come out on Tuesday, it has CFP implications. Like it's everything you want in a college football championship game. And five Bob, those goons on first take are over there going, who cares? I'm not, you know, we're not going to pay attention to it. What are you talking about, man? So stupid. Yeah. Well, if you're not going to pay attention to it, it's it's admitting that you don't pay attention to college football. If you don't, if you are just a like a, a loose fan that just kind of happens to, you know, maybe follow along Sports Center a couple of nights a week or something like that, then maybe it doesn't have the the big name pop that you're looking for. But you're talking about two really, really good football teams, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think my, I, mean, I don't, I, it would not shock me at all if Kansas State went in there and just ruined TC's entire season. Yeah, I'm probably going to pick Kansas State season. to win the game. Probably yeah. going to pick Kansas State to win the game. Now, got a few days to think about it before we talk about it on the next episode. But the funniest part of all that whole thing, and I, I've just seen the clip all over Twitter and had to talk about it on my radio show, the first take where. <laughs> Steve A. Smith, he's like, I just don't that that TCU schedule. It just it's not impressive. They are number one in strength of record. ESPN, his employer's metric for strength of record. TCU's number one. It's just you can't make it up, man. It's awesome. I love stuff like that. <sighs> if just you're looking not for names. gonna watch the games, just don't say anything. Yeah, why are you even on there? Go talk about the Knicks. I mean, that's that's yeah. all you really care about. Go talk about this the Knicks. This just in. They stink. There you go. <laughs> Saved you some time. All right, for my loser of the weekend, thought about going with Zach Wilson, man, because Mike White went out there against the Bears defense Ooh. and balled. And I know it's the Bears defense, but 315 yards and three touchdowns against anyone in the National Football League is having a day. Zach Wilson can't get the job back if Mike White's putting up those numbers. Just can't happen, man. Mike White went out there and balled. Mike White must have grown up poor. Only explanation, <laughs> right? That's that's it. I I would I would really respect Booger, Booger McFarland if he came out and did that. Like just said <laughs> that Mike White must have grown up with hardships, man. It's obvious. It's so obvious. obvious. <laughs> Yeah, that was, oh. that was uh, pretty impressive. His first half was was crazy. He threw for like what two hundred and fifty bills in the first half. Couple Dude, of touchdowns. they were throwing it all over the yard. And I once again, it's the Bears defense, but still, that was uh, it was fun to watch. My loser of the weekend, though, the LSU Tigers. I thought, you know, a lot of people thought that they probably controlled their own destiny. Heading into the weekend, uh, just had to take care of business in College Station, then find somehow, some way to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, and they would find themselves in the college football playoff in year one under Brian Kelly. Well, they did not take care of business in College Station. 
Ted. They went there and lost 38-23. And it was a it was a really good game for about two and a half quarters. And then Jaden Daniels fumbled. AM scooped and scored. And it was all Aggies from that point on. Just a massive momentum swing on that play in that football game. Now, Moose Muhammad was out there just making sensational catches. Devon A-Chain, I think, is one of. I think there could be an argument that he's the best running back in college football. Like, I think he's really damn good. But the the Aggies whooped that ass in the fourth quarter. And... We we don't exactly give Texas A&M a ton of credit on this podcast. They've been they've been my loser of the weekend a lot this season, but man, that was uh, that was impressive. And whew, you talk about a disappointing loss for LSU and that fan base. My goodness, I'm so stupid. You know, I saw. What did you do? Well, I took this in our at our station. I took this in our 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 picks contest. What was LSU like a nine point favorite, nine and a half point favorite, something like that. Here you've got a team that has everything to play for a possible college football playoff appearance, right? They're going into the, the sec championship game. Incredible what they've done this year. And then you've got Texas A&M playing for nothing. Has to be ready for the year to end. No excitement, pissed off fan base. It's like, of course, LSU goes and loses that game to Texas A&M. Of course they do. I'm so stupid. It's the easiest pick in the world, but I just took the wrong side of it. I I believe when we did TV together last week, I said it would be the most college football thing ever for AM to beat LSU. And there you have it. There you have it. <laughs> Unbelievable. I I assume AM fans are happy that they won this game, but but there's gotta be it's maybe a large number, may not even be a small number. There's gotta be a substantial number of AM fans that are like, oh my gosh, Connor Wegman looks awesome. The offense is producing. Jimbo's not going to change a thing offensively. He's not going to hire anyone. He's going to say, look, this is what it looks like when they execute it. That that has to be in the back of Texas A&M fans' mind. They have to be going, oh, no. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I'm sure. I didn't see it, but I'm sure in the press conference, Jimbo Fisher's like, I told you guys. I told you Connor uh, Blackman could play. That's just a glimpse <laughs> of the future right there. I guarantee that's what's going on. You're, you nailed it. Absolutely. Your Jimbo's pretty good. You just need to talk like a little faster. I know. I can't. My brain doesn't work that fast. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Regular season's over, man. We all right? <laughs> God. I'm. I, I'm. I'm actually. I'm thrilled. You know, thrilled. Little bit of a break. Regroup, gather weapons and munitions, and try and go win a bowl game against bowl game. God knows where against God knows who. People, we're going to get through this together. On that note, episode 270 in the books. 
We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Wednesday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius and Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.